You are listening to the Vijar Manthan Podcast. Namaste and welcome to another episode of the Vijar Manthan Podcast. My name is Sumit Sharma and it's my great honour to be bringing this project to your ears. A Dharmic project, a Vichar Manthan project, looking to explore modern day concepts, issues, challenges, commentaries on modern day life, and see how we can analyse that with a Dharmic lens, a Hindu lens, a civilizational lens. Today, very excited to be bringing Dina Adhan to the podcast, to the platform, Dina has been on the Vijar Mantan platform before. Please do go back, have a look at our YouTube channel and website for more information on some of those talks. We've been trying to get Dina onto the podcast for a little while now. I think she was actually one of the very first people I spoke to. Um, timelines didn't manage to work, but very excited to be bringing this here today. And I think we're going to be talking about something that is so important for lots of people. And that topic is along the lines of veganism. And if that turns you off from this podcast already, you just haven't given this a chance. I think this is not just a buzzword for today. It's not just relevant for the people of tomorrow. But it's truly talking about how we become more sustainable. How we think about the impact we have on the earth and other living beings. So Dina, by training, is a lawyer. She teaches at the University of Birmingham. She describes herself as an activist, an animal rights advocate, public speaker, vegan educator, uh, and an advocate for all sentient beings. She says the earth belongs to all beings. Dina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Summit. Namaste. Namaste. We are very excited to have you here and to talk about something I think you're very passionate about. Um, and more recently, I've seen your, your Facebook and Instagram posts uh, talking about what it says in things like the Gita about things like veganism, but maybe let's uh, let's let's start at the beginning. Um, what is veganism? Gosh, okay. Well, I'll I'll give you the simple answer there. Um, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life that um, seeks to, I suppose, abstain from using animals, whether that be for food, uh, the food that we eat, whether it be for the clothing that we wear. Um, for for any of the products that we use to clean our houses with. Um, it, it's to sort of, you know, totally preclude all use of animals in our lifestyle. And is that a personal choice? Has someone told you this? Have you been discovering it throughout life? Have your views changed? Like, how does this come about? You mean veganism and how it's how it's come about for me? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a, a background, a, sort of a bit of a history lesson of how I became vegan. And that will, I suppose, um, substantiate the answer. Um, so I've been vegan for about 12 years now. And um, prior to that, I was vegetarian. Um, I was actually uh, born and raised as a vegetarian. And then in my mid-teens to late teens, I um, would I would consume animals, so I was eating animal flesh, meat, um, and then reverted back to being vegetarian. Um, and then I, I, in my sort of early 20s, um, I, I started quite strongly walking upon a um, sort of spiritual path, I suppose. Mm-hmm. 
and um, I was reading a lot, I was doing a lot of meditation, I was doing a lot of painting. I've never painted before <laughs> in my life, but it was something that I was driven to do. Nice. I was practicing yoga. And um, I just, it, it was one of those things that when you start to invite new things into your life, you discover new parts of yourself. And I found that um, the foods that I was consuming would either allow me to enter a deeper state of mm. meditation okay. or a not very deep state. And it became really quite obvious for me. By the way, at that stage, I had no intention of becoming vegan. Sure. I loved my cheese. Sure, okay, sure. And um, so anyway, I, I, I started to just experiment. And um, I would sort of cut out a little bit of dairy, just see how I feel. And I just noticed that I, I just felt better. Yeah. I, I felt better in myself. And then as, as life would have it, I stumbled upon a video um, on YouTube, as you do. Yeah. Um, and you know, I wasn't even looking for this video. It somehow found me. Um, and it was of a, a calf, uh, a dairy calf, um, basically being taken away from her mother. Sure. And um, that got me. Yeah. That got me really hard. And for me, it was quite instantaneous. Um, you know, it was a light switch moment. Yeah. I became vegan overnight wow. um, after that. And then I was sort of a quiet vegan. I was one of those vegans. Right. I didn't talk about sure. it. I don't want to share it with people. I, if they ask me, I will share. But right. otherwise, I will carry on, you know, and do my thing and let others do their thing. But then, you know, you discover more videos and you discover more information that's out there and you just realize that there's all this suffering that's going mm. on with these animals that I had no idea about. Yeah. And so do you think generally people are naive to the videos and the information that you stumbled upon? You know, I don't think people are naive okay. um, because that puts it personally upon them. Sure. I think it's that... Um, the animal agricultural industry is so powerful yeah. in removing what really happens in the industry. Oh, for sure. So, for example, you know, when you think of uh, milk from a, a cow, you think of cows happily grazing in, mm. in scenic hillside fields. Yeah, beautiful you know, grass. Yeah, and, yeah, a calf is suckling from her mother. Um, and, and, and if you go to a supermarket or if you see a gallon of milk with the picture on it, oh, yeah. that's what they show you, Marketing right? Marketing is amazing. Yeah, right? and, and this is it. I mean, you know, with the subsidies that, that these uh, uh, industries receive from the government, they have so much money that they can put towards marketing that mm. people are not naive, but people are simply seeing what's put out there. Sure. And it takes, I suppose, somebody to personally, like I did, take it upon themselves to actively look at look. what really happens. Go behind the veil, mm. yeah? Go behind what's there, what you're being shown, and what's really happening is truly um, the total opposite. Yeah. It's horrific. It is horrific. Yeah. There's a, there's a, I think it's a TED Talk I've seen where a lady's talking about the marketing that goes into things like milk. Right. You know, just putting the word farm fresh yes. on the label. Or, yes. like you said, the, the, the picture of the cow with the lovely grass and everything. And, mm. and what... The industry will do to show you that actually there's no problem here. It's you know lovely milk and, and what have you. And I've seen videos that, that you're describing. That's it's quite horrific, and it is. And you see videos of like little kids who don't want to eat fish fingers anymore because now they've got a pet fish and they've 
they've now reconciled what it means to have a fish finger on your right, plate. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Um, We've sanitised yeah, meat eating. So, yeah. you know, it is so easy to be able to go into your local supermarket oh, sure. and buy a cellophane-wrapped, already cut-up and primed piece of animal flesh. Or it's mm. so easy to go and get that gallon of milk. And it's so cheap yeah. as well, right? Um, but if most people had to actually go and kill the animal themselves... There's a there's an advert, there's a, a video of this where they go into a restaurant. Right. Like, what would and you there's like a group of friends, right? Yes, yes. And then seen it. They give you the, the apron and the knife exactly. and then the pig yeah. comes in. Do it yourself. Like, right? right? Oh, man. And you, most people wouldn't be able oh, to do that. And, and you mentioned children. I mean, children especially are so... Um, I mean, they're so pure, mm. you know, mm. and they are, unfortunately, society conditions this out of them. But if you basically, and I guarantee this experiment will work with any baby out there, um, you give a baby a chick, a live chick mm. and an apple. Mm. Yeah, you give you give a one year old or two year old, both of these, a living being and an apple, which one will they put in their mouth? Right. I guarantee it will be the apple. Right. Until we kick that out of them. Mm. Wow. What have we done? What have we done to the kids? So you talked sort of, you know, you stumbled upon a video. Maybe if that hadn't happened, do you think you, you would still walk down this path? Would the universe have called you in another way? Yes, I think so. I think it was going there. Yeah. It was going there. It was just my love of cheese that perhaps I was yeah. somehow, you know, trying to shy away from it. Um, but that, no, you know, I, I did. I went down that path. Yeah. Um, um, but I've got to say, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't the vegan I am now, um, you know, that the sort of, the advocate right, for veganism right. that came a few a few years later when yeah. I was kind of given a bit of a kick up the behind to right. say you've got to do more you can do more and was that an internal voice no no that was somebody very close to me at the time basically seeing me crying over a video on YouTube right. um, and saying well look you're crying you're clearly affected by it um, but what are you doing and to which I responded well I've signed a petition and I've signed this petition and and they said well that's not enough mm. you can do more you've got these skills of persuasion of articulation you're a lawyer use those skills and and share the truth with the public oh. and I think that then created you know I suppose how you introduced me uh, the vegan advocate yeah a, a bit of a movement mm. yeah, for sure interesting and what motivations do you think someone that hasn't got that calling or hasn't or isn't as passionate as yourself? What motivations could someone like that have? A, a simpleton, Joe Bloggs, going about their day, right? Grown up thinking, whether it's naive or not, it's okay, I, you know, I, I, I do my bit. What motivations would you... To go vegan? Yeah. You know, most of the people who are vegan now are, as you described, the Joe Bloggs. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, they didn't, they didn't have that sort of internal drive. They didn't have that sudden instantaneous, uh, revelation. Mm. Yeah. Cause it's fashionable now. Well, it, it... <laughs> I like, I, there are so many restaurants I go to and I would, I'd be shocked if I don't see a vegan Something menu, vegan. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and we'll probably talk a little bit later on as to how sustainable that really is. Yes. Yeah. But I, I have friends who... It's a badge for them. Right. I don't think they're actually aware of or care even about impact. Okay, okay. It's more of a a badge. So... Okay. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer necessarily, but what do you think? So, yeah, I mean, just going back to that initial question about what drives that sort Mm. of, you know, the average person. Mm. Um, I mean, I've always found that there's sort of three predominant reasons why somebody might choose 
to go vegan. Okay, I, I obviously did it for ethics. Sure. But some people don't like animals. True. I know some vegans who actually don't like animals. They couldn't care whether there's a dog that's kind of wanting to play with them or not. You know, they don't like animals. They're not bothered. It's interesting. Um, but they do it because perhaps it benefits their health. Um, okay, okay. And, you know, I mean, there's ample studies to show that we can, I don't know, reverse even um, certain lifestyle diseases by following a plant-based diet. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in recent years, climate change has been at the forefront of mm. politics, at mm. the forefront of most of our minds. Um, and there are a multitude of studies that show the impact of animal agriculture on uh, the carbon footprint yeah, on the earth. Sure. So I'd say the average vegan out there does it for one of those reasons, sure. okay? And the one thing I have found, actually, you know, when I'm out doing uh, activism and I'm talking to a meat eater, the one thing that a, a vegan and a meat eater has in common, okay, believe it or not, is that they do not like to see animal abuse. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, think... So you can see the most avid meat eater out there who is munching into their steak but you show them at that point mm. the cow having a captive bolt gun put to their head and then mm. being strung by a chain and having their throat slit and mm. being bled to death before being gutted they don't want to see that mm. nobody or, or or if you're walking the streets of it and you see a, a dog being kicked you would you feel that of course you'd want yeah. to do something about it yeah. right so whether you're a meat eater or not, nobody wants to see animal abuse. Sure. We all have that. We're innately compassionate beings. I think so. Yeah, I we agree. all are. Yeah. We're born like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think there is something inside us already there. Um, and then going back to the point you made about, is it kind of like a fashionable badge? Yeah. I mean, of course, I've seen some vegans who, you know, will sort of proudly eat a vegan meal and call themselves vegan and it'll be all over their Instagram pages mm -hmm. and social media. Yeah. And then do they sustain it is another so. question, right? Um, but, you know, that's obviously part of their journey yeah. about exploring. But going back to the restaurant thing and, you know, I mean, I've, I've been to, um, you know, various restaurants where, you know, even three, four, five years ago, you would never have found a vegan option. And oh, now yeah. even a steakhouse will have a vegan burger, yes, yeah? I mean, yes. that's just amazing. Amazing for the vegan movement. Um, is it fashionable to have a vegan option? I don't think it's fashion. I think that they are just clever with how to financially market themselves. Yeah, you, yeah. there's a market you're probably missing out You're on. missing out. If you do not have a vegan item or two on your menu, actually have a, vegan, a separate vegan menu, yeah, you're, missing um, out. you're absolutely missing out. Yeah. You know, the, the, the public are now demanding it. Yeah, it's true. So a few threads I want to pull on there. So, okay, the steakhouse, right? And I remember when KFC launched its vegan burger. Yeah. I think it was one of the first of the, that type of food to, to come to market. I was like, oh, you know. So, personally, I went vegetarian about 12 years ago. Mm. Um, I, I do like my cheese. I've stopped dairy milk, mm -hmm. uh, especially here in the UK. Like, I've seen things about with, with the milk industry that I, it doesn't sit right mm. with me. Like, it's not even healthy for me anymore. Okay. You just read that Tesco, pasteurized, homogenized, all these other words mm -hmm. I really don't understand. Mm -hmm. It's like, this isn't the milk I thought it was. Right. And my version of the milk is that lovely cow in India mm. that's looked after and the, the calf has had their share. And, and like my family in India still have a, a guy at home and is very well respected. So that's my version of milk. Tesco don't sell that. Okay. That's different yeah. and there is the ahimsa milk movement uh, down in Watford uh, lost my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
But you're talking about KFC. KFC. Vegan burger. And so when KFC brought out this vegan burger, I was like, I'm going to try it. I want to know what it tastes like. Fine. Went along. Ate it. Great. They didn't serve me the chips because they couldn't serve it as a meal. Right. I got me thinking, hold on a minute. What are they doing to their chips that's not vegan or vegetarian and they cook it in the same oil as... Correct. I'm like, all right. So already on a back foot here. Yeah. And then I thought, all right, personally, I've had this vegan burger. I haven't contributed to the suffering of animals, I think. But my, my money is still feeding that institution and it's still profiting off the murder of chickens. So, you know, how sustainable really is that? And I think the same applies, and now they're all doing it, you know, Greg's and, and Burger McDonald's. King and McDonald's. Yeah. yeah, they all have that yeah. one option. But your money is still empowering that economy that profits from killing chickens. Mm. And, ah, yeah, I don't know. How does that sit yeah, with you? Does that, I mean, are we able to reconcile? Is that okay? I, you know, you, you, you make a really uh, valid and important point here. And I think, um, firstly, I haven't tried the vegan KFC burger. Um, and that's not because I'm actively avoiding it. You mm. know, don't get me wrong. I, I like a vegan burger. Um, I, I just haven't got around to trying it. Um, and I'm not actively going to try it unless I'm somehow stuck on a motorway one day and sure. that's the only thing that's there, sure. right? Is it sort of uh, conducive to the vegan movement to pay money to a restaurant like that mm. that kills billions of chickens mm. every day across mm. the world to, you know, to provide the public their KFC? Mm. Um, I find personally, okay, when somebody is exploring veganism, and I think this is where I have to, I've learned to be really compassionate with how I see this. Sure. Um, when somebody is exploring veganism, oftentimes they want to taste um, a, a, a food that they would be so used to, but the vegan version. Okay, like okay? replacement, mock meat. Exactly. So if they can, if they were so used to getting their popcorn chicken or chicken burgers from KFC, but can now, because they want to explore veganism, can now opt for the vegan chicken burger. Sure then does that help to create a bridge for that particular person? In this day and age, in a majority non-vegan world, absolutely. Yeah. Should we shun those restaurants who have a vegan item on their menu, but yet the majority of their items are cows, pigs, sheep, um, or chickens? Mm. I don't think we should. Right. I don't think we should. And I know right now there's going to be a lot of... I'm going to call them black and white vegans who sure. are actually going to be probably cursing me right now. Yeah, yeah. But the reason I say this is because if we didn't provide those options, we would miss out on yeah. a whole load of people who were just kind of tiptoeing, finding their way to off. exploring yeah. veganism. Yeah. If this is creating a bridge for them to do that, why not? And yeah. also, also, if we as vegans refuse to uh, partake in eating at these restaurants, then how will these restaurants know that there is a demand yeah. for this? The only reason, for example, Greg's has expanded their multitude of vegan options is because that the vegan hot dog, mm. uh, sausage roll, sorry, mm -hmm. that just flew through the roof. Yeah, when yeah, they yeah. launched that, everywhere was sold out within minutes. So again, yeah. now they've got the steak, bake and various other things. So again, and that's vegans being open to supporting these sure. 
these companies, sure. right? But do I personally think that eventually that's sustainable? No. Right. And I think, you know, we have to, of course, try it. Absolutely. Mm. Get your fix. But eventually, look, veganism isn't about the mock meats. Mm. Veganism isn't about replacing like for like. Veganism is about whole food and plant-based. Mm. So when we talk about vegan foods assisting your health, and giving you a, a multitude of health benefits, we're talking about pulses, lentils, rice, uh, you know, uh, um, seeds, nuts, fruit, sure, vegetables. Sure. That's mm. what we're talking about. Mm. We're not talking about having fake chicken or fake meat every sure, single day. Sure. You know, you you you've got to see that in balance. I know a lot of really unhealthy vegans as well mm, yeah so there is a misconception yes. there that if you're uh, vegan you're really healthy yeah that's not I, true I, and i think that's what i was trying to get at with with the fashionable sort of question and statement um i have been to vegan junk food places and haven't felt good for eating it um even when i i, I promised myself never to have it again but the burger king vegan royale in the moment great, you know, I haven't had Burger King for like 12 years and so to be able to have that again was interesting. 10 minutes later? It's I, that salt. I regret it's it. It's salt, it's a saturated mm, fat. It's not yeah. healthy. It's no. not healthy at all. No. We've mentioned the word sustainable a few times. What would it take for the vegan movement to be sustainable? And what does sustainable mean to you? I suppose for me, it means, you know, and, and, and we can only talk about sustainability right now because we are still living in a, in a predominantly non-vegan world. So sustainability in this dialogue, for me, has to be compared to what we've got right now, yeah? Sure. Um, so it means, is it long-lasting? Mm. You know, can, 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 can we maintain it? Mm. Can we maintain it in a positive way, in a way that's going to uh, positively benefit the earth, in a way that's going to positively benefit the inhabitants of mm. the earth, including mm. humans and our non-human animals? Um, so that's that's what it means for me, but it has to be compared to what the animal agricultural industry is 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 causing to sustainability right now, the lack of sustainability and, and and just how unsustainable it is. Okay. I've got a lot of actually, you know, a prior prior to meeting you today, um, Summit, I, I've I've made note of quite a few studies which I'd be happy to share yeah, yeah. on sustainability because I've always found that, you know. You can talk about sustainability, um, but what does it really mean until you actually put some figures there, right? Great. Um, so, I'm, I mean, I'm happy to share some of these figures with you, uh, you know, and I think maybe the listeners would really appreciate that. Yeah, for Yeah? Sure. Okay, Absolutely. so let's, let's go to that. Let's go to that. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, was, I was talking about meat, yeah? Um, and, and let's just talk about greenhouse gas emissions, okay. yeah? yeah? Let's talk about greenhouse gas emissions. So... There was a study uh, that was done in 2021. Yeah, here it is. Okay, 2021. It was a journal uh, that you can find in the Journal of... Um, uh, it was a, it's an article that you can find in the Journal of Ecological Society um, produced by Dr. Salesh Rao, who's actually a dear friend of mine as well. Um, and he found in his research that animal agriculture, so we're talking meat and dairy contributes to at least 87% of greenhouse gas emissions globally. 87%, right? Then, and I, I carried on researching today, and I, I, I found some reports, and I read some reports that I hadn't even, I wasn't even aware of. So I'm going to share these. These are new for me too. Right, yeah. And I was shocked by these figures, because of course, I don't need 
convincing that veganism is the way, right? Fine. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping this will help some of your listeners. Yeah, so for sure. Harvard University in 2019 basically proved that, and, and by the way, for your listeners, if you want the references to these resources, by all means, contact yeah, me. Happy, we'll, we'll, happily give you these. We'll put them in the, in the description. Yeah. So 2019, Harvard University reported um, that if everyone in the UK... Yeah, if everyone in the UK went vegan, we would still have enough food for everyone to eat. And if the UK returned meat and dairy farms back to their original forest um, and they grew healthy crops, we would still be able to sustain human calorie and protein needs in place of the feed that they grow to feed animals. Wow. Right? And it goes on further. Imperial College, again, these are all local reports, yeah. universities from this country. Uh, so 2019, Imperial College, this study basically said that it's your diet where you can have the, make the biggest changes, okay, followed by travel and heating. So if you are talking to somebody who cares about the environment, cares about their health, the biggest shift that they can make is what they put into their mouth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They might, you can't expect them to suddenly turn the heating down on cold winter nights. I've got a great, great story about this. So I'm speaking to um, Yajur Hurya, who we'll have on the podcast very soon. And water wastage is a big thing, right. right, for people that are trying to save water. And the owner sometimes is put on the individual to have uh, half your shower time. Yes. If you were to have one less beef burger, yes, you could continue to have that longer shower right. for an entire year right. Right. and still not make the impact of, of eating Absolutely. one less beef burger. Absolutely. So-, so do you think the industry knows this, maybe doesn't tell it for avoiding sale of profits or being shown in a bad light like whose responsibility is it to sustain to not impact the earth okay honestly i think it's our individual responsibility sure okay and i think it's really easy for an individual to shun that responsibility to the government right to our politicians so for example um you know, when I'm doing activism and I'm talking to people, uh, my my uh, sort of pet hate, I suppose you could call it, is the dairy industry. Right. Okay? I have an immense passion to absolutely abolish the dairy industry. I would love to see the dairy industry just crumble right. to dust right. because of what they do to these cows. Mm. But I, 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 maybe not as passionate as yourself, but... I have a, a very strong distaste for what happens in the dairy industry, like false impregnation yeah. and, you know, and a cow is only lactating when it the body thinks it's pregnant. And so to keep it in a constant state of false pregnancy, and you probably know a lot, lot more about, about this than me. Um, and that's animal abuse. Do we not have rules and laws and regulations against animal abuse and why is it allowed like- so we have we have so and so our legislation in this country um prohibits um harm to animals of right. course okay and we have uh, two or three uh, large pieces of legislation um however uh, artificially inseminating a cow um removing her male calf within 24 hours shooting the male calf in the head um, if there's, uh, you know, no need for that cow or, or removing the heifer, the female cow and putting that heifer into a, a hutch to artificially feed her whilst the mother's milk is taken by machines. Mm. That's all permitted by legislation. And the reason for this is because there is one fundamental difference 
our legislation promotes animal welfare. And there's a massive difference between animal welfare and animal rights. Animal rights is about removing all forms of exploitation. Animal welfare is making how we treat these animals a little bit more palatable. Okay, it's a little bit more acceptable. So let me give you another example. Um, In recent years, the government took it upon themselves to remove battery cages. So we're talking hens that Mm. produce eggs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for all egg lovers out there, uh, I used to love eggs too. Um, We used to get two types of eggs. They used to come from either free-range eggs or battery cages. And then the government took it upon itself to remove battery cages because of the uh, terrible conditions uh, upon which were inflicted upon these hens. So what they did, however, very nicely, is that they... Uh, replaced battery cages with what we have in this country now called enriched cages. Now, enriched cages, just to give you an example of what or how much space uh, there is in an enriched cage, uh, imagine 14 of us living in a one-bedroom flat. Right. Okay. Yeah, okay. Factory farming. So so it's it's a kind of, again, a another way to market abuse that is more acceptable to the common person. Ah, that's terrible. So there's that. There's, um, I mean... There's a, a story I know of, of chickens, chicks being put on a treadmill and being fed from above. And so they're fattening them up. The protein hits into the muscles quicker. But they've got like three legs, no eyes. So, so you know what what you're talking about, chickens. I mean, you know, if you if you talk about abuse, um, and uh, there's abuse across the whole of the animal agriculture industry, but what chickens go through is, if you want to compare, and I don't like to compare, but if Mm. we're going down that road, chickens get it the worst. Mm. And in fact, um, chickens are producing more meat and more eggs, uh, four times as much as they were just. In, say, for example, if you compare from 1950 to now, and that, the immense pressure on their bones, the, yeah, impre- the cardiovascular pressure. Mm. I mean, um, you know, I visited slaughterhouses where these chickens are coming in these crates and they are crammed, hundreds, thousands crammed into these lorries, into these crates. Even before they have reached the slaughterhouse, the line where they are pulled up by their leg and slipped by the electric blade, most of them... I don't want to say most of them, some of them, their legs will break by that yeah, time yeah, yeah. because of the immense pressure that's been put on them, the calcium deficiency. It's disgusting. It's, um, it's horrendous. Yeah. It's absolutely horrendous. Namaste and thank you for listening. Vijar Manthan attempts to start the conversation and keep it going in an earnest manner. We're here to talk, discuss and dissect societal challenges using a civilizational lens. It's horrendous. Yeah. It's absolutely horrendous. I don't know if this is still the case, or I, I mean, I don't have a valid source, but I was certainly told this at one point that KFC, at one point, were not allowed to use the word chicken because there was not enough chicken in their chicken to legally define it. So, and so when you look at their menu, you know, you might see the word sort of popcorn chicken, but that's got a TM next to it because the phrase popcorn chicken has been trademarked. The trademark term. So there's not enough of that chicken in there. Um, and that turns me off. Like, even my, my friends who sort of still eat meat today are like, oh, sorry, you know, don't you miss eating meat? No. I don't want rotting flesh on my plate. Right. And there's also the argument about when an animal or, or a human, any any being, is going through immense suffering, it's secreting chemicals of internally. Of, and you're of, consuming that. Of fear yeah. and, and, you know, and that's a disproportionate chemical composition. And that 
energy is still it. in that and you're eating it and digesting yeah, it and making it part of you. Yeah. That's not healthy. I mean, even if you talk about burgers, um, like beef burgers, hamburgers from like your McDonald's, KFCs, sorry, not KFCs, McDonald's, uh, Burger King, even most of those burgers are coming from dairy cows mm. because when a dairy cow becomes dry or her milk yield drops, um, she's sent to the slaughterhouse. Wow. Now, because she's a dairy cow and she wasn't reared for beef, um, the sort of composition of meat is going to be of low grade. And it's most of these fast food chains and restaurants that buy low grade mm. beef. Mm. Um, and that's coming from the same cow that you got your milk from. Mm. Um, and again, the, the, the actual nutritional composition of meat there and the chicken that you mentioned is extremely low. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're going down a dark path um and look not to say that it's not important but let's 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 go back a little bit and and get into real life examples of change someone listening to the vijara mantan podcast today is thinking wow uh, dina you make some salient points um i probably want to take some steps towards being less harmful to to the animal kingdom what can i do what could an individual do today and I know we've spoken a lot about food. Yeah. And I want to talk about sort of beauty and fashion and medicine as well. Okay. So if, they, if they come in here. I mean, yeah, I mean, beauty, fashion, medicine. I, I, You see, the one thing that I always find with vegans and the vegans who don't sustain veganism is that they take on too much too soon. Fair. So for the person who's listening to this who is curious about veganism, I would say start to educate yourself. Okay. Okay. So if you have been truly moved today by this podcast... Don't just tomorrow become vegan because you're less likely to sustain it. Start to explore what's out there. Start to explore what nutritional needs you have because food is, well, it's the most important thing for all of us, okay? Mm. Most of us, we're privileged to be able to eat at least three times a day. Mm. So start to explore what nutritional needs you have, okay, and what options there are. So you could just start with the milks that you, you buy um, and in every supermarket now, if you just walk a few steps further mm. past the cow's milk section, you've got a multitude of other plant-based milks. Yeah. Um, and if, for example, somebody's uh, right now thinking, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, thinking, well, almond milk, you know, the, 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 the water footprint of that is very high. Yes, it is. It's, it's probably the worst environmental uh, damage causing milk, and, you know, within the plant-based uh, sphere. But cow's milk is still far worse. Right. And again, happy to give you statistics on that. Um, so just start small if you have to, mm. um, you know, and, and, and then you can sort of add to that. Um, I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this perhaps will want to, will be wondering, well, what about my Indian food? What about my gadi? What about my kheer? What about my dhokras? Uh, you know, I love all that. What about my chas? Um, and, you know, I, I reassure you, I, I honestly reassure you, hand on my heart, everything out there from your, from your gulab jambos to your rasmalai, Every single thing out there can be veganized. Sure. Absolutely everything. Because we are so fortunate now that we live in this highly uh, IT-driven um, world that every recipe that you want to veganize can be found on the internet. Yeah. Um, and sure. I talk from experience. My mom and dad, you know, they turned vegan in their sort of early 60s. And uh, my mom's an avid cook. And she didn't want to miss out. Um, and she's a feeder. Her love language is to feed people. Right, sure. So she was the first one to ensure that she could replicate everything and veganize it. And she absolutely does. Brilliant. She absolutely does. So you can veganize everything. Start small, but but really educate yourself. Mm. Um, and then, you know, some of you mentioned about fashion, medicine. 
let that come after. Get comfortable with the food you eat. Sure, okay. Sure. Um, for a good two, three years, when I became vegan, I was still wearing leather boots. Right. Okay, because I didn't. It's probably worse for the environment for me to just give those away or throw them away yeah. and buy a new pair of vegan boots. So I wore them out, and then the next pair I bought were vegan. Yeah. Um, so I think I've, I've reconciled with with myself on that. So you know, leather belts, leather shoes, fine to keep wearing them, but I wouldn't buy new ones. Right. Um, and I wouldn't also, if I was buying a present for someone, I would make sure that I'm not not buying leather. Yeah. And or you know, make sure it's vegan leather. Yeah. Or, or and like you know, some, I get asked a lot about medication. Mm, okay. That's and a big topic. I think. No, it, it is. And you know, I think people really need to be reassured here that look, if your health is at stake and you need to take medication that has absolutely guaranteed been tested on animals, yeah. maybe even has animal product in there. Mm. But this is about your health. Mm. You have to take it. Mm. I mean, I sometimes have to take certain medication. Um, you know, I, I have lupus as mm. a condition. It's an autoimmune condition. Um, and there's been times when I've had to use certain ointments, sure. um, taken certain medication. Of course, that's been tested on animals. Yeah, like... But I take it mm. because this is about my health. Mm. And, you know, if you go back to the vegan society and their actual definition of veganism, it's you know, the operative words there are to be vegan as far as is practical and possible. You know, the vegan okay. society has those words in there for a reason. Mm. Um, and is that just about being rational? And, you know, we're living in this modern age, and like you're saying, health is really important, so, so medicine we naturally take. Is that just being realistic? I think so, and I think it's putting a common sense approach here. Mm. You know, Because it's not black and white. Of course, mm. we live in a grey, and mm. look, you can go to a short... Uh, look, most of us in the West, we are privileged to be living in cities and towns where there are ample shops. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I tend to buy most of my clothes from charity shops now, I tend to buy most of uh, my things, you know, sort of secondhand reused. Um, but even if that's not your thing at the moment, so many shops have synthetic options. Mm. Yeah. So mm. when it comes to clothing, of course, you can buy a vegan alternative. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to medications and things like that, you know, if you've got to take it, you've got to take it. And I don't think anybody should suddenly just think, well, I can't do it. Veganism's too hard. You know, take it bit by bit if you have to. And before you know it, um, you know, you'll, you'll find that you've actually incorporated it into most of your life. Sure. I've got a question here. Um... I'd be very interested to know what you think. So, Namaste. Thank you for listening. Vijayamanthan attempts to start the conversation and keep it going in an earnest manner. We are here to talk, discuss and dissect societal challenges using a civilizational lens. Tune in on your favourite podcast platform or vijayamanthan.org forward slash podcast to find out more. How do I know that I am a vegan. It's interesting that because um, I have somebody close to me in my life who refused to call themselves vegan for a number of years um, because they didn't like the term. It carried too many connotations. Mm -hmm. But yet everything they did was vegan, right? right? From the foods they ate, from the clothes they wore, uh, from the lifestyle that they Mm -hmm. lived was vegan. Mm -hmm. So I suppose you've got to perhaps introspect mm. um, and, and, and look at what you do, um, you know, every day. And would, would you call that a dharmic lifestyle? Like, is being vegan dharmic? I think, I think, like, being dharmic and being vegan, the two are interwoven, mm. absolutely. Mm. Because if that, if, if, if dharma is all about sort of 
seeking truth, sort of... Causing least harm. Least harm, non-duality, you know, there is no you, me, you know, there's oneness. And if veganism is all about doing less harm to another, Mm. um, seeing their pain as your pain, then the two, of of course, they they hold hands, intimately Mm. hold hands. Mm. So I think often, you know, if you are striving to live a dharmic lifestyle, um, look at what that involves. Mm. You know, look at what that involves. And what your impact sort of on the world really And 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 you know what? I really urge people to truly um, dissect and critically analyse what that involves. And please don't cherry pick Mm. because it's so easy to cherry pick. Right. It's so easy to say, well, mm, I do it at home. But, you know, when I go out and I go to a restaurant, oh, the paneer, but I love my paneer. And, you know, just really apply the principles to your life. And and I guarantee you will automatically just innately feel better. You could be the healthiest meat eater. Yeah, you could still be having dairy and you could be really healthy, but just psychologically, emotionally, you'll feel better because you know that your actions are not contributing to harm. It's a strong calling. Um you know, you are clearly passionate. Um, what about the the other end, the extreme end? Like, when you walk across the park, are you not accidentally killing insects and bugs and ants? And is that okay? Like, where, at what point is it too far? What are the right. boundaries of a vegan lifestyle. I don't think there are boundaries, okay? okay. And I think um, your your sort of uh, example of walking across, walking on the road, I, I mean, look, just by us living, by us breathing, yeah, we are causing harm to the earth, mm. yeah? Mm. Each of us have a carbon footprint which is causing harm to the earth just by being here, yeah. okay? Um, so I think we have to accept that. And I think it just takes me back to causing as least harm right. as is practically possible sure. I think that's what you have to do yeah. so again you know going back to my medication example you know I'm still taking those medications mm. when I have to mm. right mm. but do I have to buy those leather boots no I don't do I have to have that cheesecake um, because my taste buds are screaming out for mm. it no I don't so I think it's about your internal moral compass yeah and where that's driving you and, and I think so you mentioned cheesecake <laughs> and I love cheesecake but that comes to discipline Yes. Right? Can I be disciplined enough not to have that cheesecake? You know what? Actually, uh, so it, I disagree with you there, right? Okay. I don't think it comes to discipline. Okay. But I think it comes um, down to what you are aware of. Sure. sure. So again, um, going back to the ethical mm. reasons for veganism, if I took you to a farm one day and at four o'clock in the morning, you heard the cries Mm. of a mother cow who's had her baby snatched away from her. Or if you heard the cow's mothers, their udders still leaking of milk, going into a slaughterhouse and you hear their cries in there and you see the captive bolt gun held to their head, you see them being ripped apart, Mm. slit by the throat. If you saw all that, then it's not discipline. Mm. It's not discipline. The discipline disappears because suddenly there is no desire to have that cheesecake. And the beauty of it is, is because there's so many amazing vegan cheesecakes. Sure. So you're not missing out. Sure. 11 years ago, 12 years ago, when I became vegan, I was missing out. I mm. felt I was. Sure. But my drive to sustain veganism was very strong because of what I had seen. And okay. I was coming from an ethical viewpoint. So, and I know others who 
get very tempted, very tempted. Oh, but I, I really want that. I really want that sort of cake and it's mm. got, you know, dairy in it. Um, and I, I, I honestly just say, well, just remind yourself of what happens. Mm. And you, then is it worth it? Are your taste buds worth yeah, their suffering? I don't want the cheesecake right now. <laughs> but you paint the picture so well. Uh, I don't know if everyone can be, can do that. Okay, so look, we're in 2022, world's moving fast. What about lab-grown meat? No animal had to suffer for that. Yeah, I mean, that's really developing. Um, and again, you know, some might argue that that is sort of a, a bridge again to the curious vegan to become vegan. Mm. You know, they're getting what they would normally eat, but an animal hasn't died. I personally would not promote or eat lab-grown meat mm. because, of course, um, you know, it still intrinsically has the cells of an yeah. animal within it. Sure. Um, and that animal still, that, that initial animal still had to die for the lab-grown cultures to take place. Okay. So it's not vegan, basically. But it's reduced the harm. It has reduced the harm, and I suppose it depends on, again, whether you're taking the reductitarian approach here or the uh, uh, abol abolitionist approach mm. here, where you're just like, you know, no, I don't want any part of animal in my diet or lifestyle, yeah. or actually, yes, you know, by having this, I'm not contributing to the ongoing suffering. Yeah, yeah. Is that better than... What we have now, mass-produced, you know, meat and dairy in, yeah. in, in a multitude of industrialized dairy and meat farms? Of course it is. Do I personally agree with it? No, I don't. Yeah, I don't and, think I would. But, but some of the other reason as well is that actually if you are an avid meat eater and you want to try the vegan alternatives, even just taking you away from lab-grown meat... Just try the soya-based, mm. the tempeh-based mm -hmm. products. And oh. actually, you won't... I mean, look, I did an experiment, right? I, I have family in Ireland, yeah? And there were literally two plates. So they are, of course, they, they, they come from farming backgrounds. Yeah. So they are avid meat eaters. There were two plates of sausage rolls. One was the Linda, Linda McCartney's uh, vegan sausage rolls. The other one was, you know, yeah. animal flesh sausage rolls. Which ones... We didn't say no, to them, so we were this. cheeky, right? We didn't say to them. To them, they were both the same because they looked the same. We knew which was which. Yeah. Which one's finished first? The Linda McCartney. Absolutely, so. absolutely. If I had told them mm. that those were vegan, would they have touched them? No, they would have turned their noses of up. Course, of course. But if you don't tell them and you actually do a blind test... Are, have there been studies on this? Like... More than just of your, course, your family. Of course, yeah. absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. It happens all the time. You know, um, you can just go to a random city where they're doing some sort of vegan activism and they'll have a blind yeah, and they'll say, yeah. here, look, here's the actual meat. Here's, you know, the vegan alternative. You pick which one sure. do you think you're eating. Sure. Um, and and, and most, most often they can't tell the difference. Sure. That's how good these products are. There was a, an EU ruling recently uh, where they weren't, where the, the plant-based milk alternatives were forced, I'm, I'm not sure that's the correct terminology, but they were not allowed to use the word milk anymore. Right. And I think one of them Even was... Even cheese. Yes, not allowed to say cheese. So they got came up with clever things like not milk, and or milk, M-Y-L-K, or cheese, and stuff like or that. Or they say, we're not allowed to call it milk, yeah. but you are. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, so, like, what's going on there? What's the issue, and, and where do you stand? Honestly, this is, again, the power of the industries, mm. okay? I mean, they have a lot of money. Um, there's, there's, there's no doubt about that, and they are very powerful, but I think they're actually feeling threatened. Yeah. I, you know, I the vegan so. movement is growing exponentially. Mm. Um, 
sort of a lot of 18 to 35 year olds are moving to veganism. The younger generation is extremely vegan curious. And the more we have the availability of vegan foods in restaurants, the more it is assisting the movement. So are the meat and dairy industries becoming threatened? Are some of these farms um, closing down because they cannot cope with, you know, the lack of demand? Yes. Um, And I think that's what's happened. They've actually had to drive themselves to finding legal alternatives to somehow um, reduce the marketability of these vegan products. Um, But unfortunately, what's happened is they've shot themselves in the foot because it's actually had the opposite impact. Um, Yeah, more awareness. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And you know, that brings me to another example where KFC shot itself in the foot. So I think it was 2017, 2016, 17, they had an advert. You know how you were talking about how the composition of chicken within yeah. a KFC meal is very little. Yeah. So they flipped that, okay? And they came up with a very, what they thought was a successful marketing campaign. I don't know if you remember this, but they were showing the whole chicken, yeah. the face, the whole body, a healthy looking chicken. And they yeah. said, KFC, we use the whole chicken. Right. Okay. And so what they were trying to do was trying to flip the whole um, lack of chicken around to say, well, actually we use the whole use chicken. This is how healthy our chicken looks. And they were promoting on billboards, on television. So people who were going to KFC were looking at this whole chicken. And you know what happened? They were being put off. Because Why? suddenly they're realizing, oh, um, my food has a face. Oh dear, yeah. yeah. It has a face. It has eyes. It has a beak. Mm, it has feet. A personality. Right. You know? And so they actually ended up... Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, more powerful. So I, I think this is, this is the powerful... Uh, you know, animal agriculture industries trying to grasp at straws, trying to uh, maintain their powerful stance, mm. trying to reduce the the sort of growth of vegan brands. Um, but um, like you said, ultimately, what that's doing is it's just causing more awareness. Sure, uh, riveting conversation here on on the Vichara Mountain podcast. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to go into what I call the rapid fire round. So, a rapid set of questions for you, Dina. Uh, let's see how we do. If you were stranded on a desert island and you could only take three items with you, what would they be and oh why? Gosh, a desert island, right. I would take an avocado <laughs> because I love avocados and I think I read somewhere that you could actually live for quite a long time just eating avocados all day because of the sort of multitude of different fats in there. Sure, okay. Okay, what else would I take? Um, oh, it, has, it doesn't have to be food items, does it? It can well, be anything. Anything. Yeah. Oh, okay. Take my mobile phone. Okay. Just so I can, you know, tell people where I am so sure. I can get sort of assistance. <laughs> um, um, what else would I take? What else would I take? You know what? Probably a decent book because I don't know how long I'm going to be there. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, yeah. that works. What goes into your perfect breakfast smoothie? Okay, so you know, in the last couple of weeks, I've started to... Well, I've, I've, I've reintroduced smoothies. You know, it's getting warmer out there. Mm. I don't like smoothies in the wintertime. I try to listen to my body and see what it needs. So summertime now, at the moment, I'm very much onto the spinach, carrot and apple smoothies. And then I throw in some chia seeds in there, oh. some flax seeds, some hemp seeds, because they've got, you know, the right sort of fats, amino acids, yeah. things like that. 
So yeah, that's my the green smoothie at the moment. Mm. Or my son likes to call it the Hulk smoothie. <laughs> so yeah, it's the Hulk smoothie. Awesome. Hulk smoothie. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh. Apart from being a, a great mother already. Oh, thank you. My superpower. To help people see their innate compassion, I think. Mm, okay. I would love to just be able to talk to somebody and instantly help them realise that they are good inside. Mm. And they are compassionate. Because I think that's what's missing at the moment. People don't get told how good they are, mm. how much they're valued, how much they're respected, how much they are needed. And I think if the children of this world, the younger generation, were just instilled with knowing that the sun rises because of you, mm. we would have so much less crap going on in this world. And I guarantee that one of the byproducts of that would be that they probably wouldn't be eating animals. Mm, that's deep. I, yeah, I feel that. That's strong. Do you have a favourite quote? You know, I don't, but as you asked me that, the one that came to me was Be the Change You Wish to See in the World by Gandhi. Mm. And I, I know it's an overused quote. I think you live it. I think you live well, I don't, it. I don't, I don't think I live it. Um, I don't, you know, of course I can, I can do better, but it's not a competition, you know, mm -hmm. I'm just trying to do what I can. Mm. It's an individual thing. It's a journey. Um, but I do feel that, you know, if you do want to see change, if you do want to want to instigate change, feel it yourself first, live it yourself. Mm. You don't even have to talk about it because people will automatically be able to see the magic around you. Mm. And they'll be able to see the sparkle in your eyes. And they'll wonder, where's that coming from, mm -hmm. right? And that will automatically spark dialogue. How, how dare they love themselves so much? It's a love in a different way, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a love in a different way. Yeah, awesome. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Ah, oh, I think my mum and dad, especially my mum, you know, at times I get riddled with confusion when I'm, going to make sort of big decisions and my mum has consistently given me this one piece of advice she's always said just take one step mm. you don't need to see all the steps just take one step and then another step and you'll see that there is a path ahead and that's always helped me especially in dark times um, and it's very apt actually because if there's anyone listening to this thinking I actually want to explore veganism take the first step mm. Take the first step. Very sound. Do you have a favourite book? You know, I have quite a few books on my bookshelf right now, which I'm trying to read. But one that sits there that I just probably could read over and over again. I love Shantaram okay. by Gregory Roberts. I love that book. Um, and also another one. Can I add another one there? For sure. Half of a Yellow Sun. That's a brilliant book as well. Um, I forget the author, but yeah, look it up. No worries. Is, could you describe for me a moment in your life that has shifted your paradigm? Yes, and I'm being very transparent here, very open here. And I think it was when my marriage ended. For me, that was um, something that really shifted 
my whole outlook on life because suddenly it felt like I had to do this. I had to survive. And I had a little boy and he was only 14 months old and I had to survive. I had to, whatever I was feeling, whatever I was going through, that change in my lifestyle created this abundance of inner strength, resilience, that I I had no idea I had. Mm. And I think to all mothers out there listening, I'm in awe of all mothers because they all innately have this resilience and strength. But I think for me, that just went up a notch when my marriage ended because that for me was just, gosh, this this is all on me and it's sink or swim. Mm. So, yeah, it's just um, I'm often in awe of myself as to how much strength and resilience I, 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 I show every day. Um, and, 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 and that sort of, to anyone out there going through a tough time, don't doubt what you're capable of. Truly don't doubt. Mm. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. Um, okay. I'm very interested to know what you'll say to this. So if you had to fight a horse-sized chicken or 10 chicken-sized horses. <laughs> okay. And it's hypothetical, okay. right? No one's being harmed. Okay. Which one would you pick? <laughs> okay. Um, goodness me. <laughs> I have never been positioned with such a question before. <laughs> Probably the 10 okay. horse-sized chick. No. Ten what did you say? 10 chicken-sized horses. horses. Yeah. That's probably what are you going to say? Why now? Why? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because only last week I visited a horse sanctuary, right. and I walked past it, and I was kind of there, just you know, being in presence of these majestic beings. Mm. Horses, massive. <laughs> There's Huge. no way I'm going to be able to fight a, a real size horse <laughs> Fine. or <Okay>. chicken. <laughs> Fair enough. We did discuss this earlier, but for the purposes of now, what does sustainability mean to you? Can you keep it going? Can you maintain it? And does it align with your moral compass? Because I think if something doesn't align with your moral compass, it's not sustainable. Mm. And everybody's moral compass is going to be in a different place. So I think it's individualistic. What is sustainable to somebody and what isn't? Um, but I think one has to ask their moral compass. If it aligns with your moral compass, you can sustain it. You can sustain anything. Mm. Awesome. Thank you. Last one. Um, and we give all our guests here on the podcast an opportunity to make a commitment so that they could be held accountable by all of our listeners. So is there something in your life that you are not doing but want to do or have been putting off for a while or maybe even something new that you, you think up now, but is there a commitment you could make live here today on the Vichara Mantham podcast that makes you a better person, that makes you more sustainable, wholesome, um, etc.? Okay, you've really got me on this one. And you know what? I'm just going to go for it because I know exactly what I need to say here. And it's something that I've been pondering for weeks now. Okay. So before I had my son, and you know, he's three years old now. Um, I was an avid uh, practitioner of yoga and I used to meditate for um, sometimes longer periods, other times, you know, not so long. And I found that that just really benefited me. It 
it kept me grounded. It kept me in balance. Um, and then, you know, motherhood and work, etc., and life takes over. And now I'm very scatty in my practice of yoga and meditation. So, you know, in the average week, maybe a couple of times, I'll do a little bit of yoga and meditate for 10 minutes a day. So I'm making a commitment, okay? And I expect you all to hold me accountable. <laughs> so I commit to doing at least 10 minutes of meditation a day and at least just five Surya Namaskars. Awesome. That's my commitment. Brilliant. Because I know how that makes me feel. Awesome. And it's so great for me and it's so great for my son. Yeah. So I make that commitment to all your Vichar Manthan avid listeners today. Brilliant. Thank you. And um, I tell you what, <laughs> I tell you what, I've done this before. Um, I will match your commitment. Really? I okay. Will, All right. So we have to hold each other accountable. Yes. Okay. Great stuff. Brilliant. Uh, and they say if you can't make ten minutes for meditation, you need an hour. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hands down. Brilliant. Totally agree. Awesome. All right. I think we've had a great rapid fire around there. Um, let's back, get back into the discussion. We were talking earlier on about the industry and the money that they might be missing out on or are now getting because of their new vegan um, market. What does success look like? If if money wasn't the issue or the problem or, or if we had an infinite amount of money to solve some of these vegan challenges, like how would we know that we've done it? How would, you mentioned some of the studies earlier on, right? Well, the UK could sustain itself if we all turn to a plant-based diet. Like, what does that look like? I've, I've had arguments thrown at me before that there are so many cows in America that we have to kill them. So if overnight we could paint success, what does that look like to you? Nobody, okay, so back to that sort of analogy of there's so many cows in America, we have to kill them. I mean, nobody's going to go vegan overnight. Sure. I get that thrown at me all the time. What will we do with all the animals roaming the field? And yeah. it's like, well, nobody's going to go vegan overnight. We'll just stop breeding them. Right. You know, we'll just stop rearing them and breeding them. And we'll just sort of kind of slowly phase intensive animal farming out, mm -hmm. firstly. Um, what does success look like for me? Um... I think where everybody is just living free of fear and harm. Okay. That for me is where I could sit there and say, we did it. Mm. We did it. And of course, that's intrinsically linked to following a plant-based lifestyle, a vegan lifestyle. Um, you know, success to me would be where animals are not harmed, where we're not being told that by 2050, if we do not reduce our carbon emissions then you know we are uh, altering the state of the earth and climate change uh, and we can never go back you know to, to have that hanging over you mm. I mean I, I you know I see my son three-year-old and I think what what kind of earth will he have in 50 years time mm. what kind of earth will he he leave his children yeah so to me success would be that we don't have those immense fears hanging over us and where people can just be living free of that, living mm. joyfully, mm. knowing that they are not causing harm, that we're not causing harm to the earth, that we're not causing harm to animals. Is that... I, I like it. It's a great, a great view. 
I worry, though, it's a bit of a utopia. Like, what would it really take to get there? And as a society, as, a, as humanity, how long will it take to, to do that? So would it be for your son or for his kids or his Gosh, grandkids? Like, yeah. how long would it take? Who, who knows? Yeah. I mean, every, every person right now who decides to change their lifestyle is contributing positively, mm. right? Every single person. Any one person who's listening to this today who decides to follow a plant-based diet is going to positively help the earth, help the animals. So I don't think there's a a measuring tape, so to call it here. I don't think we can measure it in that regard. Mm. I think it's having to look at these bold um, figures provided to us by some of the world's best scientists and almost kind of attribute our success in accordance with have we shifted those figures or not? Sure. Um, I, I think that's really important, you know. Uh, and I think people take it upon themselves quite massively to say, well, if I make a change, it's not going to make any difference. It does make a difference. Every single thing you do makes a difference. The mm. figures show that it makes a difference. So, mm. you know, every little thing counts. I think it was Tagore that said... Uh, the man that plants a seed, knowing he'll never sit in the shade of that tree, right. has begun to understand the meaning of life. Absolutely. And, and I sort of had to have internalised that and reflected upon that. And even some of the time I give sort of towards Vicharamantan on, on a personal level, knowing, hopefully, positively, constructively, we're trying to contribute to the betterment of society. Yeah. And, and by having conversations like this, where... Hopefully in uh, 50, 100 years' time, they'll listen back to this and think, oh, you know, that was an important discussion to be had about veganism, about Absolutely. sustainable living. Um, and I think maybe it's a process of evolved thought. Like, like you've mentioned before, like we're very blessed in the West. Houses, cars, jobs, everything is available at a touch of a fingertip. Can we measure the impact we have on society, on, on sentient beings? on And if, even if it's not the animal thing, just climate change your and health. carbon health as you might well, even like. be bothered about the climate just mm. do it for yourself mm. Mm. so i, I want to go on to something I've, I've seen you commenting upon recently and it's more specific to the hindu community and this fascinates me because i'd love to see if you could convince my mother but taking milk to the mandir and could you could you talk a little bit about what you're trying to do there and the thoughts that you're trying to change with with the Mandar societies? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I started activism, um, I kind of looked inward and I come from a Hindu family. I'm, I'm Hindu myself. Um, and I started to see sort of this incongruence mm. um, within my own community. And I thought, well, I see and I know what's happening to these cows. So what can I do to relay this truth to the Hindu community because I was so fully aware of the fact that as Hindus we are so innately in alignment with wanting to do good to the earth Dharmic concepts yeah we see the cow as a mother mm. we see the earth as a mother you know we have this sort of intimate connection to these beings right no other religion has that mm. we do throughout our sacred texts there are sort of poetry and similes written to show us how, how interwoven we are with everything that mm. is. Mm. And then you go to a mandir, and yes, you know, every Monday, for example, people are taking gallons of milk. 
My, my, my point there has always been that why are we offering milk to, for example, the shivling or to the deities in the mandir when it's coming from immense suffering? Mm. There's such hypocrisy there, even if it's unintended hypocrisy. And for most people, it is unintended. They don't know that. They mean well. They don't know. Of course, of Mm. course. So it's about providing them with that truth, providing them with that knowledge, but also reassuring them that they're not going against the texts. Mm. They're not going against the scriptures. The scriptures say whatever you offer with love and intention will be accepted by our gods. So, you know, it's, it's, it's to go with that in your mind and then make a better choice, make a more compassionate choice. Sure. I have to say, though, um, I have somewhat, I suppose, um, altered my activism a little bit. When I started within the Hindu community, I was very going, so I was, I was going full throttle with the, <laughs> with the mandirs. Yeah. Um, and then I realized, actually, you know, that's not my audience. Sure. That's not my audience. A lot of people who visit mandirs now are... You know, it's sad, but it's it's the truth. A lot of them are the older generation. Yeah. Parents age 60s, 70s mm. plus, right? Mm. Those are the regular Mandir temple goers. And um, for me, it was like, well, if we're going to have sustainable change, absolutely, we've got to go to the younger generation mm. because they themselves then can take it upon themselves to educate their own parents, yeah. like I did with my family. Um, so that shifted massively. Um, to, you know, sort of really trying to get the attention of the younger Hindu generation. Mm. It's a great, it's a great concept. And I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I, I really want to see its success. And maybe, maybe I'll try to do something in, in the local manner that I go to. Um, and, but just on that thought about, you know, the generations that think that they need to follow particular rituals and texts and culture. And I don't know, I don't necessarily have a conclusion to offer on this, but... That I think the next generation can revitalize that in a new way. Like, I think it's part of the culture to take milk with you to offer, right? But what if you could plant a tree instead? Mm. I mean, just, and now we are privileged enough to be able to measure these impacts. So I think, I think you're right. The next generation needs to be able to take it upon themselves to keep the essence of what's important from, from text, from scripture, from quote-unquote religion, um, but apply it in a realistic, more meaningful manner. Absolutely. And I think it's reminding ourselves as well that so many of the things that we do are sort of customary practice mm. that's been passed down to us, you know, from like genera- generations before us. And if it's customary practice, then that, of course, has to evolve with the the sort of day and age that we see ourselves in. If you're enjoying this episode so far or have found it useful in some sense, be it discussion points or some points that resonated with you, then please consider sharing it with your friends and family or colleagues that might be interested. Namaste. And if it's customary practice, then that of course has to evolve with the, the sort of day and age that we see ourselves in. Um, so, you know, for example, you know, in, uh, I, I gave you the example of 1950s, you know, even 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 cows were uh, producing a lower milk yield than they are now comparing 1950s to now. So, you know, again, we've got to look at the impact our choices are having in our customary practices and our sacred texts. Again, the, the Hindu scriptures are not dogmatic. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. You know, they're not they're not like the Abrahamic texts. Mm. They're not telling you you must do this or you, you know, or you're not. Uh, uh, so and so, you know, they 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 actually promote inquiry. They promote 
uh, self-realization. They promote critical analysis. Actually, you're not any less of a Hindu by doing that. Mm. If anything, you're following more of a dharmic stance by doing that rather than just doing what you've always been told and not questioning it. Mm -hmm. So this is what I, when I have dialogue with um, people about Hindu practices and the use of, you know, certain um, things like dairy, ghee, you know, question where that's coming yeah. from. There's yeah. nowhere in the scriptures that says we have to do so and so. Yeah. I agree. And and we've had a few podcasts with uh, Siddhartha Ji Krishna from Rishikesh and and we talked about Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita and how it's timeless wisdom that one can inflict upon and come up with internal sort of conclusion and remarks and apply it to their real life. So for anyone that's interested in that, please do go back, look back at Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast streaming platform of choice is to hear those conversations. Um, Dina, I think we're coming to the end of a great conversation. I'm sure we could sit and do this for, for a long, long time, but... Is there um, some parting words of wisdom? Is there a, a note you'd like to leave our listeners? Is there some advice that you could offer? Um, what are your closing remarks? Oh, gosh, okay. There's so many things I still want to say. Um, you know, what I what truly say is that just remind yourself when you're listening to this and when you go off kind of pondering the words of today, just remind yourself that Every action and inaction you take or don't take has a consequence. And remember that the next time you're in a supermarket. Remember that the next time you're in a store. Remember that the next time you decide to, to eat or buy something. And just think about the consequences of that. Even if you're not living next to a farm, even if you aren't an avid you know, uh, activist like me visiting a slaughterhouse, you don't have to be, most aren't. But just know that the suffering is there and that just you can reduce it. You yourself individually can help reduce the suffering and the plight of these animals. Some very powerful words here on the Vajaramantham podcast. Uh, and as ever, we're not here to necessarily offer a conclusion, but ask you to ask more questions of yourself, of your communities. Are you operating in a manner that is loving and compassionate to all those around? Are you nullifying harm? Um, and, and is that for the betterment of society? Uh, just quickly then, before we go, Dina, if people listening today want to follow your movement or uh, see what other things they can contribute to, how can they keep up with that? How can they follow you? Yeah, so um, I am on Facebook, um, Dina Ahern, A-H-E-R-N-E. And um, I'm on Instagram as well. Uh, but on Instagram, it's spiritually vegan. And I have a YouTube channel too. It's slightly inactive at the moment, so I do want to put up more videos, but there's quite a few on there. In fact, um, Sudhartaji and um, Acharya Vidyavaskarji, they've got a few videos with me on there as well. Um, so if you're looking at inquiring about veganism from a Vedic text point of view, there's plenty of videos on there too. And just, you know, generally some of the work that I'm doing and involved in. So that's spiritually vegan on YouTube. And, you know, as ever, if you're interested in taking this step, I am so genuinely open to assisting you. So please contact me. And if you need any advice, any tips, recipe ideas, anything like that, if you're worried about nutrition, I might not have the answers, but I, I can absolutely signpost. Excellent. And we'll put all of those links into the description below. Dina, thank you very much for joining us here today on the Vajaramantham podcast. We'd love to have you back on the platform again soon. <laughs> 
Thank you so much. Yeah, and hopefully it will not take so many years for me to get back on. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Not to worry. I think that the, the privilege and the pleasure was all ours. Uh, and as ever, this was uh, Vijara Monthan podcast, live recorded, especially for our listeners, who I would love to hear from. So if you've got comments, suggestions, if you've agreed or disagreed with anything that's been discussed today, please do email in at podcast at vijaramonthan.org. Uh, on all social media channels and lots more firesides and interesting conversations and podcasts. We have papers, book clubs running up and down the country. Please do stay in touch, contact us, and I look forward to bringing more Dharmic concepts to your ears. This was the Vichara Mantan Podcast. Namaste. Mm-hmm.